0: How was the first world war experienced by Dubliners? All the evidence is that the war was never popular in Dublin. The Bachelors' Walk shootings took place literally a week. war was declared, and most people in Ireland were totally unaware of the international crisis that was unfolding in Europe. And so in Dublin, the actual declaration of war passed almost unnoticed. There was certainly no euphoria. There was hardly any reference to it at the corporation meetings and, and the war was, I think, fairly unpopular from the start. The other great myth, of course, about the First World War, and it's partly, I suppose, the Labour movement has contributed this to this as much as anything, is this notion that all these men who'd been locked out in 1913 were forced to join the British Army when the war broke out. There's actually no evidence to suggest that at all. The vast majority of Dubliners who were called up to the colours in 1914 were, were reservists. They were Dublin working men, all right, and many of them would have been transport union members, but they would have served as soldiers in previous years. And when you left the British Army, you were then in the reserve, and you got paid a stipend for being in the reserve, which was very useful if you were on a low wage. But the downside of that was if war broke out, you had to return to the colours. The units who would have volunteered in 1914 would have had to go for basic training, so they would have been sent off to places like the Curra and and Basingstoke in England for training and those men weren't deployed until 1915 because they wouldn't have been trained sufficiently and the units wouldn't have been organized and trained sufficiently to act together for many months. So I think the, the story originates with, it's a great book, James Plunkett's Trumpet City, but it originates, I think, with that episode at the end where he hero a the book is forced to join the British Army because he couldn't get any work in Dublin because he'd been blacklisted. But the lockout ended in January of 1914, some places it dragged on to February, but it's a long, long way from, if you pardon the expression, from January or February 1914 to August 1914. And the other reason why it doesn't make sense is simply that business in the port boomed, of course, once war broke out. And because all the observers being called up, uh, many of them dockers, there was a shortage of labour in the port. So even men who were blacklisted the end of the lockout were being employed, many on a casual basis, but they were being employed in the port. So there was no necessity to join the British Army in 1914. All the evidence is that people in Dublin who joined the British Army, the vast bulk of them were working class, all right, and would have probably been a lot of them in industries that were badly affected by the war. There was uh, huge unemployment in areas like brewing and distilling and uh, confectionery and all the various industries in Dublin that were not suited to war production. Was very unpopular in Dublin. Never had any huge support. It was so more right, I think, uh, amongst the uh, Redmondites at the very early stages. And certainly the Unionist population supported the war and continued to do so to right to the end. But uh, most Dubliners, uh, the war was just one succession of disasters after another. A lot of Dubliners died in the war. Five thousand died in the trenches. Five thousand. Well, actually, by by Great War standards, it's not enormous. Well, it is really. I mean. Dublin accounted for more recruits from anywhere else in Ireland apart from Belfast. Recruitment to the British Army in Ireland was predominantly an urban phenomenon. There was a stigma attached to, to joining the British Army in, in rural Ireland. Certainly if you were a farmer or a son or a shop assistant or... Republican or whatever, it was almost bringing disgrace on the family to have someone become a common soldier. Belfast was obviously different, there was massive support for the war effort there across all classes, but I imagine it was probably the same in Cork or Limerick and so on, but certainly in Dublin, recruitment to the British Army was a very strong tradition that long preceded the First World War and continued long after it, and in fact it's still going on to some extent, and obviously on a very small scale now. but. Certainly right up into the Second World War, again, there would have been massive recruitment into the British Army, because it was a job, and it was only ever regarded as a job. Many uh, members of my own family who served in the British Army, you know, they were servants for the half-crown rather than the crown. I mean, mm-hmm. it had no political significance, but it, it beat trying to scrape a living as a general labourer. And the trouble is Dublin was a very stratified city, and if you were born a general labourer, you would die a general labourer you weren't gonna get into the crafts. I mean there was no force in those days. And the craft unions were very were very strong. There was a negative element to craft trade unionism. There was this elitism and basically you had to be born into a craft to become a craftsman. Whereas if you joined the British Army you could actually learn as a trade. Now that trade still wouldn't be recognised when you came back to Dublin. But if you stayed in Britain or went somewhere else you would get work. So there were a lot of arguments for people joining the British Army in the First World War. And I, say, I think there's a lot of remanufacturing of history now with the, the peace process uh, and rewriting of history. And uh, people are projecting back onto Dublin working-class recruits' loyalty that, that they were fighting for the rights of small nations or that they were crypto-unionists or you know, they were forgotten or airbrushed out of history. They weren't actually airbrushed out of history until the Northern Troubles began in 1969, right up until the the Second World War, there were massive crowds turned out for Remembrance Sunday in the Phoenix Park. Those demonstrations only finished in the Second World War because the the Irish government, like the British government, like governments all over Europe, put a damper on public parades of any description because there was war on. Mm-hmm. In fact, the British in particularly played down the First World War during the Second World War, because if you're trying to get people to fight a new war, the last thing you want to <laughs> do is remind them how many people died in the previous one. of um, all, when it came to government, boycotted the Remembrance Day celebrations, uh, but they didn't do anything to stop them. It didn't affect the turnout. The, the turnout dwindled because simply the people who were involved and their relatives gradually died out and the numbers fell. And I said, the Second World War put a bit of a damper on it. The number was always much smaller after that. But then it was 1969 when they decided, because of what was happening in the North, the British Legion, and and uh, decided to play down the Remembrance Sunday here. But that was because of a completely different problem. And by then, a lot of the people who had survived the First World War would have died anyway. And there wasn't the same interest uh, in the Remembrance Sunday amongst veterans of the Second World War mm. uh, for all sorts of reasons, uh, not least the fact that the poppy and the British Legion and all those things were associated with the failures of the 20s and 30s, the generals who were regarded as responsible for the massacres on the Western Front because of their incompetence and stupidity. I'm not saying that was always justified, but that was the perception. And the association of the poppy with earl haig and all these big wigs who basically were using the poppy to to, to sort of legitimize uh, what had been an awful bloodbath to distract attention from their own shortcomings so the poppy was actually a very politicized symbol in ireland, in britain uh, let alone ireland to try and project this back and say this is all tied up in some way with some legacy from the first world war and to project that onto Irish history, I think, is is just doing a disservice and is only confusing people. If the British had imposed conscription, as they intended to do, what would have happened, do you think, in Ireland? I suppose we don't know. Again, you see, I think MacNeill had the right to approach because the volunteers whatever the shortcomings, they were relatively well armed and organised in 1916. The volunteers never recovered in that sense from the rising. They didn't just stop in Dublin. I mean, in, in every centre in Ireland, Cork, for example, is probably the best known example, where the rebels had weapons. They were all seized. So, the IRA, when the War of Independence came along, had very few weapons. The, it would have been basically a, a passive resistance out of necessity if uh, the British had imposed conscription in 1918, I suspect. There would have been things like mass hunger strikes. There would have been some physical resistance, but it would have been very small. I mean, the the problem for the British in 1918 would have been they'd have had to deploy an awful lot of troops in Ireland to get the the handful of recruits. You know, it would have taken enormous effort. And I think it's generally accepted now uh, that the, the reason the British imposed conscription in Ireland wasn't so much get Irish recruits, but to make further conscription palatable in England. Because you've got to remember that by 1918, the British were seriously considering sending 17 and 18 year olds to the front. So how do you tell an English mother her teenage son has to go to fight the Germans when there's all this shower of cowards in Ireland who are afraid to do their bit for king and country. I think the move in Ireland, the threat of conscription here was far more to do with selling unpalatable policies at home in England than it was uh, serious at that stage.